listening to Hey, Richard, it's great to see you today. Hey, Liz, uh, thank you very much for having me on. Um, happy to talk about all things developer <laughs> technical. Um, yeah, I've been really excited to speak with you because you've had such an interesting career path and uh, now are you know focused on running a company that's all about developer relations. So uh, super excited to pick your brain and, and just hear more about you. So can you tell me a little bit about your career in tech and how you got started? Uh, I studied uh, philosophy and mathematics uh, uh, because I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I, it wasn't even my first choice. I think mean, my first choice was theoretical physics. Thank goodness I didn't get that one because I would have failed. Uh, not very good at maths. <laughs> uh, but the, the the mathematics department had uh, their own uh, FreeBSD Unix servers, and they had VT100 terminals. This is this is this is sort of mid nineties. Green screen VT100 terminals. Right. So I learned original Vi, not Vim, actual Vi. Um, and amazingly enough, they let you have your own home directory and they let you run CGI scripts. And then if you're new to this this game, go look it up. CGI scripts the way we used to do things back in back in the old days. They let you run your own your own CGI Perl scripts. Um, so I had been doing summer jobs in warehouses, which um, was good money, but it was hard work. Uh, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a, a classmate ended up working for um, RTE, which is the national broadcaster in Ireland, doing their teletext system, coding. Um, and I thought to myself, oh, great. That's indoor work with no heavy lifting, which is Great. Um, so I wrote a little demo application, I think. Um, I wrote a little, I, I used the, the, the internet as it was, as it then was, to find about 70, uh, I suppose there were web agencies or companies that did anything technical in Dublin, in Ireland. Um, and I wrote a little spam script that sent them an email to say, you know, please give me a summer job. <laughs> CGI scripts in Perl, um, and one of them took a chance on me, um, and I just ended up working for them all the way through final year, and then for a couple of years afterwards, uh, late nineties, building websites in Perl and Java, uh, real old school stuff, um, and then uh, I moved to, well, my wife is a translator, so she got a job in SAP in Germany. So we moved to Germany for a couple of years. Um, and then we came back and I set up, uh, I suppose it was my first startup. It was a, it was, it was a, a company selling software components in Java. So yeah. developers from the start <laughs> and I did my own developer relations. I wrote my own forum and all sorts of stuff um, and had very good documentation and all that, all that sort of fun stuff. But the, the, the thing that I missed in all those years, so that's maybe takes us up to 
sort of 2007 maybe. In all those years, uh, I never went to one meetup or attended a single conference um, or joined any sort of um, mailing lists or any of that sort of stuff. I was the proverbial sort of, you know, hoodie wearing developer in their bedroom, not speaking to people. Um, and then through, through other jobs later on, um, startups and then companies that I co-founded, and particularly uh, the Node.js wave when that started around sort of 2010, 2011, um, discovered community. Mm. Massive revelation um, that, you know, you, you can actually have a shared interest group. You could talk to people about this stuff and they were nerdier than you were. Yeah. <laughs> um, I realized I'd been missing out for years and years. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm an introvert by nature, so I, it never sort of occurred to me that, you know, going out and speaking to people would be fun. Um, and through that, um, ended up in, I guess, a as CTO of, of, of a company as a developer, in a developer relations role. Um, I used to describe myself, because I, I used to do all the conference talks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, about the early days of adopting Node and all that type of stuff. Um, and I used to, used to say I was a performing monkey because <laughs> that was that was what my job became was you know, yet another slide deck yet another plane trip yet another conference um you know and you, it's funny because you know you you start off with this sort of fear of public speaking and then you get used to it and then you then then, mm -hmm. you, then you get very very casual and you start doing your slides while the other speaker is finishing their talk and which I don't recommend um I can definitely relate to that because I remember like when I first started out in DevRel, I would be so nervous. You know, I'd prepare things so far ahead of time. I'd practice for loads of people. And then after you do it enough times, you know, you're, you you kind of get a little in your ego about it. You're like, ah, no, I got this. And then maybe you get away. I'll, personally, I would like get away with that for a couple of times. And then I'd have like a demo totally like fail. And then I was like, all right, <laughs> I need to like go back to you, you know fully practicing no you know you don't need that stress uh, do do prepare your talks yeah that's that <laughs> if you learn one thing uh from this uh, interview yeah preparing your talks is generally a good idea uh yeah i i think for me that you know that that was the, the biggest change in my career and the, the, the most wonderful thing to discover was the power of community Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I got really into different coding, different languages, got really into extreme programming and agile, got really into entrepreneurship, all that sort of stuff. But none of them had the same transformative power in terms of, um, I suppose, success, personal satisfaction and happiness in the work, mm. actually joining, actually becoming part of community did. Um, right. You know, and that's, I think that's the biggest kind of takeaway. And, and I, I think nowadays um, it's a lot more known. It's a lot more obvious that being part of community is a good thing um, and companies actually pay for it and, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you, you, you can kind of find yourself a job just by, joining communities we, we recently hired a, a really really cool uh, developer advocate um, guy called lewis myers 
Uh, he's based in the U.S. Uh, I've never I've never met him in person, right? But uh, we noticed his community engagement was awesome. Mm. So okay, well we need to hire this guy. <laughs> he's really really good. Um, so you can you can literally get yourself a job just by participating in community now, which is wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that that's that's the thing I sort of envy, I guess, for people coming into the industry now is that it, it's a lot healthier that way. Sure. And there's, um, I guess, more clear paths forward, because I can imagine when you started out, it was really probably very new. And even I get, will get, <laughs> I'll tell people my job title or what I do, uh, even other people that work in tech, and they'll be like, what is that? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's definitely still um, not totally ubiquitous, but uh, I do think there are more yeah, kind of defined paths. And um, yeah, wondering kind of what that was like for you, sort of like organically, like shifting into that in just what you were already doing. Yeah, so I'm definitely one of the, oh, people who sort of discover, oh, actually, I'm, it's called developer relations. Um, and I know <laughs> a lot of people my age, right? So I'm, I've been coding since yeah, I got that first job in 96. So <laughs> a while. Um, a lot of people, you know, at my level, so if you haven't gone off to, to, to do pure management or whatever, if you still code, um, you were doing developer relations for a long time. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a, an adjunct to the job. It, you still had to do all your normal work and then try and prepare a conference talk or try to persuade your boss to pay for you to go to a conference to present it. Um, but then what happened is the people that you met at those conferences turned out they became customers. Right. And anybody with any sense who was paying attention suddenly realized that this is a massively successful sales channel uh, mm-hmm. and has, has only become more so over time. Um, you know, in, in terms of just generating really easy win, inbound wins on mm-hmm. the sales side of things. Um, the trouble is... And this is the challenge that developer relations has always had is that you could speak to somebody after giving a talk, you know, they might come up to you and ask a question or two. So this literally happened to me, right? I I had a guy come up to me at a conference in 2013 uh, and asked me a little bit about microservices that I was talking about at the time. Um, Turned out he worked for McKinsey. And then later, McKinsey was a big client, right? And wow, that that yeah. was a big one. Yeah, and there was a lot of other stuff that happened. And, you know, I didn't do the sales side of things. Uh, a great co-founder is really good at sales who kind of moved to the next level. Sure. But you can say that that developer relations activity um, had a payoff. And there's other examples right. where you can, see that, you, you can see that just by meeting people at a conference, uh, you eventually end up with good business revenue. Uh, the problem is it, it takes two years <laughs> or a year. Yeah, or three years. the cycle is so long years. and it can be hard to, I guess, like quantitatively tie the two actions together. It's, I mean, there's a lot more tooling around that now. And I think, you know, you all do that a little bit yourselves, right? But um, yeah, it can be very hard. It's such a great story, you know, like, I, uh, it's funny because when I met Shane, uh, who's the founder of Evervault, we were at a conference and 
I was working at, for Twilio at the time and he was like, oh, we, we love Twilio. We use it for a lot of our like demos and quick starts. And uh, he said, I think I found out about Twilio because I was at like a hacker space and I just picked up a sticker because I thought it looked cool. And then I, you know, looked into what it was and then I started playing around with it. And there's so many stories like that where it's like, you know, this very clear DevRel activity that ends up leading, uh, as you mentioned, to, you know, a customer or engagement of some type. Absolutely. So you worked, you worked as a DevRel for Twilio? I did, yeah. I'm, I'm flipping it out, asking you questions, sorry. But that, that's kind of awesome because Twilio is, are kind of famous for having this awesome DevRel execution. Um, you know, I stumbled into it, to be honest. Um, I was working as a software engineer and I had a background in more like content marketing and journalism. And um, I really loved coding. I mean, I still really do enjoy it, but I also kind of missed my old work. And um, I was a part of this women in tech group and I met somebody else who worked at Twilio. And when she was talking about her job, I was like, that sounds like a job I would love to do. <laughs> and uh, and I just like got super lucky that it ended up being, you know, this amazing team of people who were, you know, so willing to kind of like mentor me and show me the ropes. It's great that it's a job now. Right? We were talking about that earlier. It now is a rope, right? You can you can you can aim for it as a career as a career goal um, and be valued for what you do. Yeah. So you were heading up a Node.js shop and then you decided to go and found VoxGig. What, yeah. like, uh, I guess, what was the decision factor there? What made you decide, like, okay, I'm ready to do this? So it, it turns out companies have kind of a DNA. And when you work in a, in a consultancy, um, that, that company was founded, uh, I think the original idea, we, we tried to build a whole bunch of products, but I think the original idea was something like Firebase for, for mobile apps. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the problem is we, we made too much money <laughs> building Node.js systems because Node took off at the same time that it got founded. And it's just really hard to say no when people are waving money at you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, please please build us yet another Node-based you know, node system or whatever. and Eventually, the the hiring and all that sort of stuff ends up generating people who are really good at working with clients and working to schedules and managing client expectations and selling to, to companies that need staff augmentation, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I, I had always wanted to do a proper B2B SaaS mm -hmm. product. Um, you know, that scales and has nice gross margins and all that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, well, you know, I told you I started coding in 96. So you, so you can see that the, the, sometimes, you know, if you, <laughs> it's, it's easy to get comfortable. If, and if you're going to do something, you kind of have to decide to do it. Um, so I decided it was it was it was kind of time. I had um, got a bunch of experience speaking at conferences, um, and internally managing that experience, deciding where to speak, where to travel. You know, I, I ended up speaking at all sorts of places, but you'd end up at a meetup that only had five people at it, and you'd flown there. <laughs> That's right. great fun, you know, uh, but. Uh, it, 
it doesn't it's you know it's not really aligned with the, the business's goals let's say uh so the, i didn't find that there was any real tooling for speakers as such mm. um and i, I and, and there still isn't really i still haven't found anything that, that really meets those needs um so i decided now or never um it kind of exited that business and then with the the money from that exit set up a set of boxing as a as a SaaS B2B startup um and built uh enterprise tooling like b2b tooling around the speaker role more than developer relations itself mm-hmm. uh you know and helping uh in-person event organizers do things like run call for papers uh, sure helping people run booths, all that sort of stuff. So that was going great. That was, that was a really cool business. We, uh, we were helping people like um, Disney Plus at the time, you know, run, because they were hiring loads of developers to build their systems. Um, it was all going wonderfully until uh, March 30th, 2020. <laughs> oh, Richard. Uh, do I relate to that? Yes. Yeah. Well, that was, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you know, you plan and, and God kind of laughs. Um, so I spent the whole month taking calls from customers saying, yeah, we're going to cancel. And revenue oh. went to zero. So by March 30th, it, revenue went to zero. Um, and we built up a team in the UK that was kind of the primary focus. Uh, so we kind of had to let them go and wind that down, figure mm-hmm. out what to do. Um, I was extremely lucky with the board and investors that I had, uh, whose, whose advice really was just go into hibernation, stop spending money, sure. watch, wait and listen, see what goes on. We experimented with a bunch of pivots around, um, virtual events that type of thing mm. um we even thought of a pivot into no code because we had built this platform oh yeah mm-hmm. we, had, we, we actually had so if you think about events right events have tickets they have uh, attendees they have organizers they have speakers they have vendors they have um venues um there's you know there's on the day of the event the, the, you know you, you might be broadcasting stuff live um events and event software is incredibly complicated there's a whole there's loads and loads and loads of different things we built a whole bunch of functionality um that's actually super useful for a whole load of different use cases that are not related to events at all mm-hmm. um so we ended up um thinking about how do we how do we leverage what we have um into something that's actually useful for people. And the one thing that survived COVID was developer relations activities. Ah, yep. Um, so that's where we ended up with the pivot. Uh, it took about two years to figure out. <laughs> so I it mean, makes that, sense, you know, right? Was, because it seems it, like based on the ecosystem before COVID hit, uh, I remember when I joined, I I was so excited because um, I was doing a lot of, I was meant to do a lot of in-person hackathons, in-person conferences, 
Um, and yeah, I think I had like two months of that before then we were like, all right, we got to figure out how to do all of this virtually. And I think we kind of lucked out because um, a lot of the partners that we were working with and companies we were working with were really trying to figure out like, how do we keep morale up? How do we keep people engaged and excited? So there was this, you know, sort of demand for actually having like hackathons and events, um, even virtually. Uh, but then there has been quite interesting shift, I think, then back into like, okay, now things are opening up again. Like, how do we get back to this world? What does it look like now? And I think that uh, as much as having that very narrow focus initially probably worked very well for you, I can imagine how like broadening it, and especially because you have so much experience and kind of know what to look for in the people that you're hiring, um, that seems like it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, we have to give up the idea of being a pure B2B SaaS company. Um, because the developer relations space is a bit broader. Um, sure. So there's, there's tooling around developer relations, which is similar to the tooling that speakers would need to organize their talks and that sort of stuff. Um, but a lot of developer relations activity, especially for startups, involves uh, rolling out an API, rolling out SDKs, managing those, um, helping clients do integration work, that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you know, some of my business advisors are tearing their hair out because you should never mix, <laughs> you should never mix, you know, product and services. Um, but that's kind of what we're deliberately doing um, because there's there's a core developer relations product. We're going to relaunch that later in the year. Um, but then a lot of the work that we do is very consultative in nature. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I just put in a proposal to, to a company uh, earlier earlier a couple of days ago that um, they hadn't figured out how to engage with open source. Oh yeah. Right. So they're looking at the, I mean, you know, their, their GitHub is kind of a, not a wasteland, but there's nothing happening. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they, they didn't really understand how they would go out and find uh, the sort of natural ambassadors, people who were just randomly interested in what they were doing and had built little, versions of, of their of, of their apis or sdks so that you know they had sdks for the major languages but someone had gone and just built a rust one because they needed a rust one i guess mm -hmm. um you know so you know there's obvious advice like buy that person a t-shirt at least <laughs> right but also bring them to the next conference you know pay for their fare or whatever um and, you know, a lot of companies are, are set up around the, the traditional sales model where you have SDRs and funnels and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. Um, but I just keep going back to, you know, I met a McKinsey consultant at a conference and two years later ended up with some very big deals. Um, so I think developer relations, if, if you do it right, enables that kind of... Um, uh, Sort of, it enables a sales process where you create all this sort of natural inbound interest, and it's very very strong because, you know, if I'm using an encryption product now, and obviously I have the built against Evervault, <laughs> but if I if if I have a client that has a need for encryption now, 
Um, I've already invested as a developer in learning your APIs. So, you know, unless it's a terrible fit, um, Evervault is the first port protocol. Um, so if you have an API or an SDK and a service and you've built um, a, a community of open source developers and developers that have kind of attached themselves to you, um, now they're generating a huge amount of inbound mm -hmm. um, because they recommend stuff, right? So if, right. If, if I'm building a website for somebody, oh yeah, we don't do this too much, but if I'm building a website for somebody who's completely non-technical and they say, oh, I need encryption, Right, they're they're not going to decide. <laughs> right, that's part of my technical service is saying, oh yeah, you know, these guys are the are the, are the guys to use. Um, I think there's a huge challenge in developer relations to integrate that into the sales process and measure it effectively. Yeah. Um, one of the, the the sort of themes this year that's going around the developer relations community spaces is companies. Uh, cutting developer relations staff. Yeah. Part of general cost cutting, cost cutting and layoffs, which is crazy. <laughs> it's super crazy. They don't, I don't. I don't think they they realize how much developer relations, how much business it actually generates um, by that mechanism. Uh, it follows the mind. I can't, I can't understand cutting developer relations at all. <laughs> um, especially when you're trying to increase sales. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but we do yeah. have a job to figure out how we demonstrate value. Un unsolved problem. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think one observation I've made as well is that because so many folks that work in DevRel tend to wear a lot of hats that sort of cross different areas of the business, I think sometimes there's this perception that well, you know, they're doing a little product stuff. They're doing, you know, some community stuff. They're doing some marketing stuff. Well, we can just have, they're doing some engineering maybe. Like we can just have people that already work in those areas cover it. But the problem is that I think people that do work in DevRel are able to see the connections that exist across all of those different areas. And uh, when you don't have people that can look at the big picture and say like, oh, we should be doing this tactic to cover you know, X, Y, and Z, then it just doesn't get done. Like it's just not happening. And uh, I think community community is something that I'm figuring out a lot right now personally. And I think that you have to nurture it. Like it has to be like an active ongoing thing. And so if you kind of just like let it sit or, you know, you have this open source project that you're just kind of like, it's out there, but we don't really know how to engage. Then it's like, you're not going to get any of the value that you were hoping to get from that particular idea. Yeah, and I, I, it's a good insight. Um, so I, I had a guest on recently uh, on our podcast, uh, a guy called Jason Sincere. He works for a company called Sitecore.com, and he was saying, you know, you, you have this, this, you have this kind of cliche that there's the three pillars of DevRel, right? Code, content, and community. But he was saying maybe there's a fourth one, right? Which is to be cross-functional. Yeah, it's, it's, absolutely. It's a big picture, right? You can see, you, just because of your position, and also, you know, when you're out going to even small meetups or whatever, participating on discords, you're by osmosis sort of picking up the vibe of your community. Mm. Um, even if it's sometimes hard to articulate, you just get a feeling about, you know, that feature is going to resonate 
but the other one probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so yeah, <laughs> you know, product people, you need to be listening to your DevRels because they're, you know, they they they're they're kind of they can smell stuff. <laughs> The power of the vibe is real. Uh, and I do think, yeah. And like, there's just so many uh, like little casual, like hallway conversations that I think you have this idea that like, oh, that doesn't really matter, but it actually does because I think your McKinsey story is a really powerful one. And there's so many other stories that I've heard or, you know, experiences that I've had that speak to the impact of just connecting with someone, even in maybe what seems like a very small encounter. Yeah, uh, and I, I think it feels, especially if you haven't done it before, uh, it feels intimidating to try to set up community or try to engage. Um, and it, people can do it in a very ham-fisted sort of way as well. Uh, you know, you can't you can't just stomp into a meetup and start buying all the pizza or whatever, right? Because sometimes if it's a community meetup, they don't they don't want a company to do that. Um, but somebody has to have the job to go out there and just keep their mouth shut and just listen. Um, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a very intentional way to, to, to start understanding the culture uh, that they want to be part of. Um, and it's, it's very, very different from traditional sales and traditional marketing. Um, that's why I think this, this, there's another decade to go before it's fully integrated into, you know, into the, the, the structure of um, software organizations. Yeah, um, I absolutely agree. It's, it's I have, great time um, to be involved. Um, I really want to ask you this uh, because this is a question that I've been chewing on um, and I would love to get your insight. Uh, you know, so Evervault is very much um, a encryption API and platform that's meant for developers. You know, we focus a lot on developer experience, um, but we also kind of have this weird crossover into the security space and the data mm-hmm. privacy space. And I think um, it's been a big challenge to figure out how to straddle that or even integrate it. Um, And I'm wondering if you've seen this type of um, company or product before where it's kind of like part of a couple of different spaces and how to sort of effectively serve that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Evervault has a, has a little challenge there because um, you know, there are a lot of, uh, SaaS companies like Twilio that, that are very much, you focus on the developers and then you can orientate a lot of stuff around that. Um, and then you have other types of companies that the, the service is, is more of a business service, right? Like this, like the security and anti-fraud stuff. Uh, yes, developers are involved, but they're not, their influence is less, and they're they're definitely not decision makers. Um, and what we found interacting with our clients is those are two modes of developer relations, and they aren't. Mm. Um, and you, the one that's more developer focused, 
in that case, you, you're putting a lot more effort into open source and the community and smaller meetups. And, uh, you know, you're trying to make sure that your developer brand is credible, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that, 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 that you're behaving according to the, the sensibilities of developers. But on the other side, where your primary clients are more business focused, mm -hmm. leaders are the ones actually making the decisions. Um, then your developer relations, uh, because you'd often get assessed by uh, a CTO or a VP of Eng, who is not coding themselves, right? They've at their point in their career, they've they've kind of moved beyond that. Um, so then you're in a situation where the professionalism of the documentation, the case studies, the tutorials, um, the ability to have, um, you know, partners that you can pull in to help with implementation, or maybe you have a, a services team yourself, that type of, that type of credibility is important. So, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a challenge, I think, for Evervault on that because you serve, you're, you, you're in both worlds um, and, and you kind of have to serve both. Um, but hey, you know, startups are fun. Nobody said, that, nobody said it was going to be easy. Uh, <laughs> so yes, a, a lot of companies only have to do one or the other, right? Right. You have to do one or the other. We, we did an integration with a, um, a Tango card. So they do rewards recently. Uh, mm -hmm. That's very much in the, in the sort of business category. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. So you know, I, I don't think um, I don't think Evervault can skimp on developer relations uh, on either side. I think, given the nature of your business, um, there's a significant payoff to investing in both. Mm -hmm. um, but that means, in terms of the the marketing cost mix, um, it has to be a higher proportion for for Evervault because you, you want to serve both 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 of those markets. Right. Um, and I mean, unless at a higher strategic level, you decide to kind of refocus on one or the other. Um, I think they, they support each other. Um, yeah. They definitely support each other. Um, but your work is definitely harder than the average DevRel organization. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, no silver bullet. It was just hard work. Yeah, honestly, that's such a good soundbite. It's true. There is no silver bullet. It's just hard work. And I think uh, something you said earlier just about listening is so true as well. Um, kind of listening and adapting, not uh, necessarily. Because I, I did that too. You know, when I started, I wrote up this whole plan. And I was like, we're going to do this and this and this. And then, you know, a month and a half in, I was like, oh, actually, a couple of these ideas just don't make sense at all now that I know the things that I know. So uh yeah i think being adaptable um whether it's due to a major world crisis or just some idea that you had not really turning out to fit with the actual sort of goals of the business um is is a really important skill and uh i do think it's a skill i think adaptability is something you can cultivate yeah yeah um there is no that's definitely, and that's definitely true, right? There is no one true way to do developer relations. Um, you know, definitely not. And as the volume and quality of content um, gets higher and higher, you know, if you look at a company like Intercom, this is not quite developer relations, but it's similar. If you look at a company like Intercom back in the day, 
they just did a whole bunch of blog posts about um, mm-hmm. you know customer engagement and that type of stuff and it worked you know happy days they, they got a unicorn out of it uh yeah. trainer i think he wrote all those um but that wouldn't work today yeah that wouldn't work now um i see a former colleague of mine um a guy called matteo Kalina. he has a new startup uh, called platformatic um he's a cto but uh once a week he's on twitch doing live coding nice yeah um so i think you've got to I think I think you can't just say oh there's a playbook. Mm-hmm. We're just gonna we're just gonna execute that. Um, and the other thing I think Matteo's uh, activities demonstrate, and of course Owen in, in Evervault has, has has done a bit of this himself, is you can't delegate developer relations completely. Um, mm-hmm. Leadership, yeah. the technical leadership, has to be involved. Uh, and you know what? Uh, if you look at Amazon, right? If you look at Bernard Fogels or, or uh, Jeff Barr or people like that, the very senior leadership, they, they're out there doing developer relations. They uh, are, yeah. You can't, you can't just say, oh, there's a DevRel team. That's it, right? They go write blog posts and go to meetups. Um, but at the C-suite needs to be doing developer relations as well. Uh, I mean, that's... that's I, I, th- I think you don't get credibility that's absolutely i it's such a good point that it is very necessary for credibility for folks at all levels to um really be able to speak technically on behalf of the company yeah and the cto should code yeah <laughs> well, that's that's just a personal <laughs> personal little bugbear uh you should never, cto should never stop coding um but uh, yeah well we'll we'll, uh, we'll 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 let that one pass <laughs> Richard, it's been so great speaking to you. I've really enjoyed this conversation and and gotten so much from it. Is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up? Yeah, uh, we we just a little little a little little pitch. Uh, we run a monthly uh, developer relations meetup. It's uh, completely virtual. So the reason we went online is to make it more inclusive. Um, and uh, so we have an audience from all over the world, and we try to get a very wide range of people practicing DevRel from people just starting to uh, you know, people who have exited companies and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it is meant to be uh, a community of learning and a community of practice. So I, I personally believe that we've got another 10 years of figuring stuff out before mm. we really know how we're supposed to do DevRel. Sure. Um, if, if, if the Node.js uh, experience is anything to go by, it took us 10 years to figure out promises. So it'll, t- it'll take 10 years before we really, before there's really a, a well-defined understanding of how to do DevRel in all sorts of different circumstances. Uh, so it's a great journey. It's a great time to be involved in this, this particular business activity. Um, yeah, so we're just helping each other learn. Um, so devrelmeetup.com. Amazing. Yes, I have been to one and I can vouch that they are incredibly useful and a very, very nice community, very open. Uh, so I, I will be attending more in the future and I hope that some of our listeners will as well. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you. Decrypt.